0: Oh, and welcome again to punks on the pitch podcast a show where the beautiful game meets alternative music uh, this is again one of our monday shows as mentioned last week it's not a match report match review show it's just us talking about the hot topics of the weekend um as always i'm not going to be rambling myself uh, today i am joined by deputy editor of astral noise and I've got two Man United fans on this week, so I'm sticking with that theme. Man United fan, George Parr. George, thank you very much for joining me. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on.
0: And how we're kind of kicking this all off to keep it musically themed. Mm. What have you been listening to in the past week or so? Uh,
1: Well, weirdly this year, like proper fast, heavy stuff is mainly like going over my head. So it's mainly been... um, like doom and sludge and stoner stuff um weird okay. like folk and some movie soundtracks as well um, okay so yeah kind of a weird mix of stuff really
0: any particular bands you're, you're digging at the moment you want to shout
1: out uh i love the new oceans of slumber album um and i i, I know i say i wasn't listening to heavy uh, to fast stuff but I, that new pet brick and deaf kids collaboration is amazing as well
0: Good shout-out. So, I don't, I haven't listened to that latter one, so I'll definitely be checking definitely, it out. Yeah, it's, it's mental. And so, obviously, we're here to talk about football. And as I promised when I started this show, we're not going to be predominantly focusing on the Premier League, despite us being both in England. But we've seen the return of other major European leagues this past weekend in uh, the Bundesliga, um, La Liga and Serie A all returning. But I think the, the big talking point is just how incredible Bayern's return were was with an 8-0 victory over Schalke. So, I don't know, do you, do you watch much sort of European football in general?
1: Um, I mean, less than, than I do British football. But I think, um, like a lot of people, I kind of got into the Bundesliga during lockdown when it was the first football back on TV. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm kind of weirdly excited about it being back, whereas before it wouldn't really have been on my radar as much. Um, yeah and I I think of all the the other leagues the Bundesliga now is probably one that I'll keep up with more Um, so although I'm I'm always vaguely aware of what's going on with the the top teams in other countries in, in Europe I guess
0: yeah I think that was like kind of similar like when I was much younger I kept tabs on the French League but that was purely because we used to go on holiday to France like every year and me and my dad ended up going to actually a couple of games out there. So I kind of kept tabs on that. Um, But then, yeah, as you say, like, apart from, like, your Barca's, your Real Madrid's Mm. and all that, it kind of gone by the wayside. But similar to to you, obviously, got into the Bundesliga when they returned with lockdown and have kind of been keeping tabs on it sort of since. And I think not just because of that, but, like, in general, like, Bayern have been insanely good like year in year out but like watching them more regularly and then seeing how they completely destroyed Barca in the Champions League and things like that they they kind of seem to be the new dominant force in Europe I don't know if that's how you kind of see them as well yeah
1: I mean it looks like it like um one thing I enjoyed about watching the Bundesliga when it came back for example is like it looks in a lot of ways kind of similar to the Premier League in terms of the style of the play and also the quality but there's clearly like a bigger gulf between the top of the league and the bottom um, yeah and I, I I mean I've just been really loving like watching Bayern play but I mean it is unfortunate whenever a team just walks like any particular league um, and it, it definitely looks like they will again this year uh,
0: yeah I mean I think one of the like football journalists that I follow, I think they said, the rest of the leagues already got an uphill struggle hmm. with with Bayern having a plus eight goal yeah. <laughs> difference on day one. Got catch up already, yeah. <laughs> um, but just in terms of the game itself, like I don't know, like I I remember Schalke kind of being not like an amazing team, but I remember they were always kind of like Champions League pushers and yeah. doing quite well, and they asked under, um, oh, I've completely forgotten his name now, the former Huddersfield manager. Oh my God, what is his name? David Wagner. there uh, we go. Yeah, yeah. Completely, completely lost it. Um, but they seem to have just kind of completely fallen by the wayside. From watching highlights and stuff, did you th- just think this was a really good buy Bayern performance or was Schalke that bad?
1: It's probably a bit of both, but you've got to say, like, any... Bayern are probably capable of doing that against any team if they don't turn up. I mean, yeah. you see as well, you see Bayern just like having fun with it as well. But I think Lewandowski got, got a assist with a Rabona and, you know, Mabry's getting a trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, they just, I don't know. They just love it. <laughs> I was
0: going to mention that Lewandowski assist because yeah. that was just unreal. <laughs> and I think like, I don't know, what's your opinion on him? Because I think he's like despite him being like one of Europe's top goal scorers mm. he's massively overlooked I think because like yeah you'd see like in comparison to like Messi and Ronaldo and even to a lesser extent like a player who's on a similar level to him is Ibrahimovic mm. like he yeah. doesn't get mentioned in that conversation so do you think that's
1: unfair yeah it is unfair I'm, I wonder if it's being in the German league and but but I mean it's probably changing now with the you know, dominating the Champions League the way they did. Um, but I feel like without Messi or Ronaldo in the last several years, he, he should have at least like one Ballon d'Or to his name by now. Yeah, yeah. I think he is not good. Yeah
0: it's, yeah, it's just fucking ridiculous, I think. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this year
1: might be his year. We'll wait yeah, it say. might happen. You never know. He might have got it last year if they didn't cancel it. You never know.
0: Yeah, I think I again I saw a lot of kind of football writers saying it should have gone to him mm. anyway, but anyway, but apart from that, like what even though it was a route, like what did you kind of think much of the game in general?
1: Um, just beyond I just it's just so much fun to watch Bayern do that. But yeah. yeah I know you feel bad for whoever they're playing and <laughs> but it's like I don't know, they just they make it look easy. They make it look like you should be doing that every game, you know?
0: Yeah. And just one other player that I kind of wanted to touch upon. I'll bring him up a little bit later as well Mm. for, for reasons that will become clear, but it's Serge Gnabry. Like he seems to have weirdly been like a massive breath of fresh air for that team, even though like when he was over here, he didn't really kind of do much. And I don't know whether it's just like the management or the role he's now playing but it's clearly like being surrounded by world class players has kind of shown that he's up there as well Mm so I don't know like do you kind of see like the the transformation in him
1: yeah and it's weird Like looking at some players careers where you just see them kind of dip in some teams and ascending others like you have to think like: Did he always have that potential, or is it just been? Is it this specific team that's managed to unlock it? You know. Yeah, it's hard yeah. So no,
0: it is very strange. And I think like, I mean, like, fair play to him. Obviously, doing incredibly well in the Champions League, and that obviously first game of the season, smashing three goals. So, okay. yeah, it's it's a good start for him. Um Before we move on, I do want to kind of stick in Germany, mm-hmm. but for something that's a lot, lot lot, lower league, but kind of related of what's going on at the moment. I sent you the the link to this story, and yeah. I kind of saw yeah. it in the news. Uh, the 11th tier German team lost 37-0, <laughs> which is fucking insane. Mm. Um, but the reason being was because of the team they were playing, a uh, few players tested positive for, for COVID, so they didn't want to risk the safety of their players, so they fielded at like seven men i think it was which is like the minimum requirement Mm -hmm. and like i know that it's it's like essentially german non-league but i don't know like because we're here in, in this country at the moment we're seeing a spike in cases again at the moment is that a worry that like i don't know like obviously the top class players they'll probably just completely cancel things again but do you reckon we'll see things like this over here? Maybe I don't know.
1: I don't know. I mean, because it seems like it was the, the circumstances of them not wanting to take the fine and clearly trying to make a sort of statement with it. Like, and I kind of respect that attitude of just like, screw it, we're going to make sure we're, we're, we're first, we're safe first and foremost, yeah. and do it without paying a fine at the same time. But I don't know, they might get punished anyway. I don't know. Um, but it does bring to light that interesting discussion of like whether football was rushed back and whether we're risking a lot by letting sports go ahead at the moment. Um, like they're clearly doing a lot, at, particularly at the, the highest level to make sure it's safe, as safe as possible anyway, in terms of testing players and making sure no one comes in the stadium if they have a temperature. But like at what point do you put football sort of before safety? Like there was that thing back in June when just when, just before the Premier League was coming back uh, Tottenham players didn't have to isolate after they played a friendly against Norwich who fielded a player who then tested positive and not long after Spurs were you know playing in the Prem and the stuff that was coming out at the time was insane as well like the club was saying yeah well he played but he didn't come into close contact with anyone and I'm like but it's a contact (laughs) sport like (laughs) you know like did they go back and watch footage to make sure or just seems like yeah he was, keep-
0: he was keeping his two meters the whole yeah game.
1: That- <laughs> it's mad but it's
0: like it, it also brings into question again like because there's the constant debate going on at the moment about when a fan's going to return mm-hmm. and so on and so forth and i, I get like every like fans specifically want to get back in the grounds as much as possible but we're seeing uh, over here like non-league games are allowing fans in so I know it's, it's like limited capacity and whatever, but I don't know. Is it reckless of like clubs and fans that they're still letting them in despite whatever level the game is at? Because I think
1: like, is, I don't know. Is it, Sorry. Yeah, it is. No, 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 you go. It, it is reckless, but like, I think it, it's clubs kind of from a business standpoint, maybe get forced into it to an extent because it's like, you're telling them to play games, but you're not letting them get the revenue of having fans in. So, you know, maybe you just need to, if you can't do it safely with, with fans, maybe, because, you know, football's not really the same without fans. Maybe you just have to call it off for a bit longer, but I don't know. It's, it's, there's no like easy solve um, beyond just not playing. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. I think, like, I when it kind of went, I didn't realise, like, how much I missed football mm. sort of thing. Yeah. Definitely. And I, was watching I think games it was one of those... Everything. Yeah, like, I think quite a lot of people ended up doing that. Like, I know they were, like, re-showing, like, Euro 96 and stuff like that on telly yeah. and things like that. So, but, yeah, I don't know. I... I've kind of become accustomed to, like, watching games... Like with no crowd now, yeah. So, I don't, it might just be like my personal perspective, but I don't really mind it. Yeah. <laughs> so on TV, it's like, not—it's like, not a huge,
1: huge issue. Although, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of the times I don't notice it. Um, I mean, are you are you listening with the like the fake crowd noise on?
0: Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Because
1: I, I, I think I prefer it with that, but but it does still—you can still sense that kind of lack of atmosphere. And I was thinking like, obviously you mentioned I'm a United fan. I was watching the United game and we were obviously terrible, but I was thinking like, this is the kind of spot, you know, when when you're just one goal down, you think this is the time where, you know, if you get a chance, then the the crowd pick it up and the, you know, the momentum shifts. And I'm wondering if, you know, like how much it is affecting games in that sense.
0: Yeah. Well, I mentioned this to, to uh, Matt, who I had on the last episode before we kind of, um, actually recorded but like about the standard of goals we're kind of having at the moment and i like think that because there's kind of flip on what you just said mm. that you have when you kind of get that galvanizing feeling of a crowd and whatever it adds pressure to the the home team or the away team or whatever but because that's not there you're seeing players take these pop shots and these chances and scoring these absolutely worldy goals yeah. And I, I kind of think that's down to not having a crowd because they haven't got the pressure on them. So
1: yeah, it's kind I, of like, a, like like a training ground feel. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I think there's like pluses and minuses to it. Yeah, but definitely. Yeah, I, I don't know. We're like, I'm no expert on the whole situation. <laughs> so I guess we're just going to have to to wait and see what happens. Really.
1: Yeah, that's, that's all we can do. Dubsky, he's priceless, of course.
0: Right. So we are now going to talk about the Premier League and as I've got George on we've got to talk about the unfortunate events that happened at uh, Old Trafford Man United losing 3-1 to Crystal Palace Um the main kind of despite the result like the main talking point for me was the the weird kind of reverse penalty yeah. decision but straight off the bat like from a fan perspective how are you kind of feeling I know it's only their first game but what's your kind of feeling with United at the moment
1: I mean, it was a terrible performance. Like you can you can say that that's you know a weak penalty or whatever, but like they we deserve to lose. So at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's just frustrating. Like you're watching all these teams around us sign all these insane players, and we're still just kind of I don't even know what we're doing. Like <laughs> just messing around. Yeah. Just waiting for no reason. It's frustrating. What's your perspective
0: on Sol- um, Solskjaer? Because, like, again, Matla on Friday was kind of saying he doesn't really think he's the greatest guy to sort of lead them to glory. But what's your perspective with him?
1: I don't know. I'm not necessarily going to say that he's the, the man to to walk in, you know, like Fergie's shoes or anything and, and win us a league. But for right now, I think he is definitely someone who's going to help us build for the future. And I think he deserves a lot mm. more respect, like people... Say he's still treating him as, as if he's a nobody and that he doesn't, he's in over his head. But you look at like some of the, the the results he's pulled off like he beat Pep like three times last season. Um, he's beaten Mourinho, you know. Um, he's essentially beat most of the top six. Like Lampard, he beat obviously the FA Cup game was a disaster, but before that, beat him three times. And um, and obviously, you go back to the PSG result, which Partly won him the job, I guess. Like he he has a, a knack for helping us beat the top teams, and it, it's weird mm. now where it's like we go into a game against Man City, and I'm I'm kind of quietly confident, like yeah, we can win this. And we go in against you know like Palace, and I'm kind of thinking there's a, you know we might not we might not get a result there because <laughs> we don't we, we don't <laughs> seem to be able to break teams down who we should be able to beat easily, you know.
0: Yeah. So. As I said, the, the talking point that I wanted to bring up was that sort of VAR penalty sort of decision, and I'm gonna do an episode later down the line like on VAR in general. I think, but what was your kind of perspective of it? Because like, I kind of get why it was recalled. Yeah, but it was the fact that like it was wasn't in like it took a couple of minutes for VAR to flag it up and things. Yeah, like that. Yeah, the game's like,
1: gone on and like I've already you know. Celebrated him saving it and everything it was really annoying (laughs) But, um, but yeah i get it in terms of like i think that decision and and things like offsides they're kind of stuck in a corner where where a lot of other decisions are kind of like up to interpretation and and people's opinion of what happened with offsides and and being on your line and things like that it is technically a yes or no answer you know it doesn't matter if you're an inch over you're still over do you know like like yeah off, yeah off his line like he was um but at the same time I'm, I'm not sure that's what var was brought in to do you know like it, it back to that clear and obvious error sort of um yeah as, as the template. Um, it's, it's good as a vague sort of template template for when it should be implemented. Um, but it's, it's, it's even that's still vague, you know? So that's, I think there's yeah. certain rules that need to be changed because they, they were ex- made in a time without VAR. And now with VAR, it's kind of, they don't necessarily gel, um, Offside maybe being one of them because you know when you're seeing ridiculously marginal offsides, it's kind of and and even the penalty being given in the first place, like it hit hit Lindelof's hand, but I mean he couldn't do anything about it. You know he didn't see it hit.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, And then there was one in the Arsenal game against West Ham that was essentially the same and wasn't given. So. If if VAR is supposed to fix mistakes, then it doesn't. There shouldn't be the inconsistency between decisions. Um, yeah, but we're still seeing that.
0: And the thing is, what well, I've kind of noticed. I know we're only like in week two, but it seems like referees have been told to kind of trust VAR more. Yeah. If well, I don't know whether that's the case, but it feels like it because it feels like there's already being big decisions made down to VAR rather than as you say that kind of whether it's sort of clear and definite sort of incidents that the referees are almost kind of leaning on VAR now it feels a little bit and I don't know if that's going to kind of be a thing long term or not but I don't I had this argument with someone on Twitter about um, like the way they're interpreting the offside rule now as well like it's just yeah, I don't. It's it's that constant debate of like whether technology is good for the game or not, and like I get it does have its advantages, but I think just because I've been watching football for so many years, mm. I lo- I like the fluidity of it, and it seems like that this is kind of taking it out of it, especially like so just before we kind of recorded, I had the the live feed of the Chelsea uh, yeah Chelsea Liverpool game going on, yeah, and they got a uh, Liverpool... No, sorry, Chelsea got awarded a penalty, but then they were doing a VAR check on an offside event that yeah, happened 10 sure. minutes before. Yeah. And it's, just, it's like, that that shouldn't be happening. Mm.
1: It's, I, it's, it was a bit weird. That comes back and the, the screen still said that they're checking a foul. So everyone's going, hang on, why are they drawing lines on the pitch there? <laughs> it's a bit, yeah, it's it's a bit it's, of a confusion about what's going on a lot of the time as well. Um, it's strange... But, but then, talking in that, that Chelsea-Liverpool game, you also see it get used well, like Christensen, I think that was a red card, because he did bring yeah. him down and stop a goal store, scoring opportunity, you know, they were having the debate on the TV of like, oh, you know, but would the keeper have got there? And I think it shouldn't really matter, the fact is that he wasn't allowed to, to see if he could reach it, um, and the referee saw it as a yellow, but it i think rightly was turned to a red so you see decisions like that where you see why it can be so useful you know i don't think var is inherently bad but but i think like the rules that have been in place don't necessarily gel with it you know like like you're saying with marginal offsides and things like that i saw one and that's the that's also gone now gone okay i was gonna say i saw one idea floated which is to have like A way of determining whether something is a clear and obvious error so you've got like um one idea was if you have three referees look at the footage and decide whether they agree with the on-field decision and if they all disagree then you can reasonably assume that that was a clear and obvious error whereas whereas if there's even one holdout then it's up to opinion and you go with the on-field but i guess again that would halt from the fluidity and, yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. not 100% sure stuff like that would work, but they, they probably need to have trial runs of things like that just to see if they can get it a bit more, um, flu- yeah, fluid.
0: Well, it's like kind of what the NHL do, mm. uh, not NHLs, NHL, NFL, oh, sorry. Right, yeah. um, like, they've, oh, any one time, they've got, like, three to four officials on, on the field of play. Like, okay, yeah, there is the one main guy, but they've got on the sidelines, they've got people on the touchline. And it's just like, for all intents and purposes, if you've got VAR, they've obviously got a referee who's watching that, but you've also got a fourth official. Mm. Surely that that fourth official could be, almost act as a second VAR checker or something like that. I I don't know. Like, But the point I was going to say is like, for every maybe like three bad decisions you get for VAR there's one really good one and that kind of then counteracts as like oh no it is a good thing yeah. so I don't know that I know we're only in our second season of it but it still feels like there's fine tuning and I think that's the downside of it is we kind of want it to work straight away mm. and it's clearly not
1: yeah the annoying thing seems to be that they're still ironing out the kinks and they have to do that as they go in competitive games whereas you you'd hope you you know ideally it would come out sort of fully formed and you know not not necessarily flawless but a lot more you know working as intended
0: yeah and just because we've kind of brought it up in in passing the Chelsea Liverpool game Mm. finished 2-0 to Liverpool but it sounds like Kepa Arisa Belaga's had another absolute howler. Yeah, that second goal so, was <laughs> So, I don't know, like, just briefly, do you think his t- days at Chelsea are numbered? Because I, I know there's a
1: lot of people who are critical of him. Yeah, well, I think they have to be. And I think Chelsea were briefly linked with a couple of keepers they were looking at. It, there seemed to be some news that came out in the summer that they were looking at seeing whether United were willing to let Dean Henderson go, which obviously didn't happen because he signed a new deal but um and potentially Nick Pope as well which I think you know if, if you're seeing a, if if those um reports were were true then um it's it points to to Lampard not necessarily being happy with what he's got um, and the fact that he has dropped Kepper before as well um you you have to assume these days are a numbered. But the problem you have with things like that, and I think United have it with De Gea as well, if he keeps making mistakes, is that you you have them on such big wages, and they're if they're not good enough for that level, no one's willing to take them on that wage. So if you you yeah, either yeah. have to replace them with someone and then be paying this huge wage to someone who's not playing, or just wait out their contract, you know, it's a bit of an awkward situation.
0: Yeah. And the other thing that I kind of want... i floated to you that I wanted to talk about is, I guess, in some aspects, a shining light for England, maybe. Mm. We'll wait and see. But is Again, I know we're only two games into the season and I don't want to be a stereotypical fan of getting overexcited, but the the growth of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. So he's obviously got four goals now in, in the first two games. He, like... I think he was always like a promising player, but I don't know whether it's because he had the layoff with injury. And since kind of coming back from that, he just seems to be a lot like fitter, but also like, I mean, he gave praise in a post-match interview as well. Like working with a striker like Duncan Ferguson is clearly having its effect of him being like that traditional English number nine striker of, being like a fox in the box kind of thing so i don't like everyone lords harry kane as like the next england striker but i don't know like why not give calvert lewin a go like what what's your views on on him
1: well I, I i was always of this sort of opinion like like throughout last year even still um that what he kind of offers is is kind of basic like he's sort of a solid center forward who does that role well but isn't particularly exceptional um, yeah but I have kind of to admit potentially getting that like you know a bit wrong maybe being a bit harsher on him there because he's clearly like good at what he does I had him in my fantasy league <laughs> yeah. team last year and then he had that goal drought towards the end of the season so I took him out and I feel really done now <laughs> yeah. but maybe I'm bitter because I captained Bruno Fernandes as well this week and that didn't work out either so it's really terrible for me <laughs>
0: But he's also... Though I've had a shit fantasy yeah, it's league week really this week as well, so. But I
1: think um, Calvert-Lewin's obviously going to benefit from the signings Everton have made as well. He's going to get like some, yeah. a lot better service and uh, more chances. And so far, he's been taking them well. And that's kind of all you need him to do if he's playing a traditional yeah. centre-forward role.
0: I mean, like that's the thing. Like, I think two of the three goals he scored yesterday... One was supplied by James Rodriguez and the other was Richarlison. Mm -hmm. And like just alone having those two is kind of already sort of paying dividends. But um, one thing that I saw he put on, well, he he quote tweeted somebody, which I thought was quite funny. Do you remember like years ago there was that like meme of, I think it's like, I think it's a meerkat or something shouting Alan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was that and somebody put, this is Calvert-Lewin asking for the ball <laughs> from Alan. And he just retweeted it. it was like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Which I thought was quite funny.
1: That's quite funny. I did actually hear that on the on, on the footage yesterday. Like I heard at one point someone literally shout Alan for the ball. Um yeah. It's yeah. just funny hearing it because obviously to us, Alan just sounds like such a, I don't know, normal... Name it sounds weird to hear it shouted on a football pitch that isn't like Sunday league. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. but yeah, I think
0: in terms of kind of him not being like maybe a shining light for England, but I don't know. Like I personally think he'd be a good alternative to Harry Kane, even though they're both playing that similar sort of number nine role. But if he kind of keeps up this form throughout the season. I think Southgate can't ignore it, to be
1: honest. Yeah, it's true. And I think there's the potential that Kane is slightly past his best already. Yeah. So, you know, the door could, could open in the next few seasons for, for Calvert-Lewin to take that role, especially if Southgate has a way that he wants the team to play and he needs someone, you know, in a few years time, assuming Southgate's still there to replace Kane or to be an extra option. And he's got Calvert Lewin ready to just slot in, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And just before we kind of move on generally, I think like because I, we kind of touched upon it with, I guess the the lack of crowd and so on and so mm. forth. But obviously, we've already seen like stupid amount. Like, obviously, Everton itself was five two. We had obviously. I know Chelsea's only. 2 0 Liverpool, but 3 0 Brighton, 5 2 again Tottenham. Like, stupid amounts of goals already. Mm. Like, I don't know. Is it is it just early see- season syndrome? Or do you just feel that like players are now becoming used to not having fans, that they're kind of playing with a bit more freedom? Because and... I remember there being this argument last year with the whole defence and defenders not being in tune with the game because of not having crowds Mm. so are we seeing more of that or is just the standard so much higher
1: maybe and there does seem to have been some poor defensive like um sort of performances in a lot of big games recently but as well as good attacking performances and maybe the lack of pressure does that and maybe it's the quick sort of turnover from last season to this one i i think kind of a big worry for teams and some of the teams that made it further in the European competitions as well. I know they got the extra week, but some, some teams just, and with the, you know, if you don't have the depth of, of essentially just city, you have the, the, the immense depth, then, then you're going to suffer with players being off their game a bit in, in terms of fitness, but in terms of sharpness as well. Um, because during that break, you wanted to give the players a proper break, you know, where they can go off, do whatever they want, go on holiday, and then also get them back and ready to do a full season. And, and I think maybe yeah. there's a, the, the, the chance that that takes longer for a defender to get to get back and to get organised and to, to gel with the players alongside them and... Um, you know, you, you have to run a lot more as a defender than people expect. Like you you have to push. You're pushing up, and then you have to, you know, turn and get back, and it's, and you have to do it at the right time as well. You know, it's not a kind of. And and people notice if you're off your game as a defender. Yeah, a lot <laughs> yeah of definitely. Still.
0: Cool. Right, and then just finally on sort of games that we'll we'll be touching upon. Obviously, we picked our team to follow for the season, which is uh, Wickham Wanderers. Not the greatest outing for for them yesterday, losing five nil to to Blackburn Rovers, which is uh, manager Gareth Ainsworth's like boyhood team as well. So even more of a a kick in the nuts for for them. But from watching the highlights, it just seemed like Blackburn were like just outclassed the chair boys I don't know like what did you kind of think of yeah then Blackburn are are
1: going to be a tough side and we're obviously on like good form but that's not to say that like Wickham should be complacent in their reaction and just say you know well we we were outplayed because if you have ambitions to succeed in what is obviously a very tough league then you probably shouldn't be losing by that much to anyone um maybe it's just a lesson for them But, I mean, I didn't see the whole game, but I've seen highlights and, like, red match reports. And it's easy to see that there was some, like, sloppy defending, like, particularly for the second goal and the red card as well. And there was one where, like, at the end and the highlights where um, Armstrong for Blackburn uh, almost scored, like, a fourth goal um, because he'd already got the hat-trick later on in the game where the Wickham defender basically just jumped under the ball and let him through. (laughs) And I was like, those are the mistakes that you need to get out of your game because, that to be expected somewhat when you make the step up, but like it can be, I don't know, it can be a culture shock playing against teams at a higher level. Because yeah,
0: that's that's what I was yeah. going to say. It's just like after the the game last week where they kind of lost one like one nil, but it was like a last minute goal. They they sort of set out a really good defense in that game, and kind of almost i know they lost but they kind of rose to the occasion of like their first game in the championship but this very much felt like a culture shock against the team that are established in that league that are pushing to be in the top half of that league so if as you say there were there were very stupid mistakes but i i'm hopeful that it's kind of those early season teething problems yeah and the they'll kind of pick themselves
1: up as well. Yeah, There's the opportunity to adjust to that culture shock that we mentioned, because when you move up, like you're suddenly playing teams that are not only like more technically gifted, but they're just more competitive. Um, You know, they're physically tougher. They might press more fiercely and they're going to capitalize on mistakes that you might've gotten away with um, previously. So you, you know, it's just, you just need to adjust to that, I guess. And yeah, we see that or, or we don't. And, that that will probably determine how successful they are this season
0: well on a more positive I saw there was a video of um the beast old Akin Fenway mm. he's he's returned to training so hopefully we'll see see him causing some yeah. troubles in, in some defenses in the championship I, I saw
1: him against my local team Crawley once for uh, for Northampton and as soon as it was before he kind of had actually it might have been that game that kind of made the you know the legend legend around him because that was on TV, um, and um, before that he walked out and everyone was going, "Who is that?" Like he's 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 so you know muscly like,
0: yeah <laughs> he's just,
1: yeah he's just shrugging players off and we're like he looks good. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, can't, I can't remember who who he was at, but I remember seeing him again playing against Pompey at one point, and it was back in the day when. Again, I think it was before, like he'd kind of got the notoriety, so everybody just saw him as a big bloke, yeah. and f- football fans, being football fans, were chanting the whole "you fat bastard." Yeah, we, we got a bit thing. of that as well. <laughs> but but it's but he then like just shows up. He's like, "No, I'm not fat. I'm just a fucking brick shit house, yeah. and I will burst through yeah. your defense."
1: Yeah, well, Crowley fans were singing it at him when we when we played them, and um, well, when we played Northampton when he was there. And He was sort of, you know, he was putting his hand to his ear and laughing at it and clapping the yeah, he, yeah, he kind of thrives on it in a way,
0: yeah, most definitely. Yeah. I didn't swear, I only told him that time to explain me that situation for uh, for the, for the first one. Right, So, if you listen to, to last week's Monday show, then you will know that we're introducing a segment called Punk and Tory of the Week where we pick. Uh, a player that we think done particular player or players or team that we think has done particularly well and embraces the punk ethos uh, and then vice versa player team whatever that's just been an absolute shit bag and been a bit of a Tory so um i'm going to start things off this week because i've kind of already mentioned him but my punk of the week is Serge Ganabry just because he's it might be maybe not necessarily embodying the punk ethos in some aspects because he's playing for one of the biggest teams in the world, but the fact he's now surrounded by these world-class players and he's holding his own is kind of that, kind of I guess that scrappy underdog thing that everyone that is within the alternative music world fucking loves to see when a DIY band kind of rises to the top. It's kind of that same kind of feeling and yeah, people. just the way that yeah exactly and the way that he just run rings around Schalke like it was just phenomenal so Serge Gnabry's my punk of the week
1: George who's yours uh, so I had it was tough picking actually but I've actually gone with Bielsa for Leeds because as much as I hate Leeds as a United fan I think that that's first <laughs> just shows how well he's done and not just that but like the style of play is exciting and it's what i want to see in the premier league and it's not really what you expect from a team coming up normally a team will you know play this fast food football and pressing and everything in the, in the championship and then if they want to stay in the premier league normally they'll, they'll have to adjust their game a bit um potentially be a bit more solid defensively and things like that, but they they seem to be going out with the intention of just outscoring teams. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's pretty punk in its own way. That he's just going out and playing how he wants, no matter what level it's at. You know, I've got a lot of respect for the yeah. manager. That's cool.
0: Um, and then I, I'll go again uh, first again. So my Tory, I I struggled with this one because I do not think there was anyone massively particular like last week I I mentioned the Fulham fans were being a bit crybabies um and I'm kind of sticking with that theme a little bit so I'm going with Slavan Bilic Mm. just because the way that he reacted to um the Kieran Gibbs sending off and then himself getting sent off looked very sour grapes and kind of like he kind of looked more like self-important it, it didn't shine him in a very good light and usually I'm I'm a billich fan I think he's like a good personality for the game and he's maybe not the greatest manager but he's obviously got a good footballing brain mm. there but it just it just looked really amateurish and really babyish and the fact that he was saying that ascending like the sending off of gibbs like essentially killed off west brom I think that's ridiculous like because if if you can't pick yourself up from ascending off and and sort of rebuild your team around 10 men then like you shouldn't be managing a football club in my opinion
1: yeah. and i mean you can't i mean it did it probably in a way if it did kill off the game i mean that's that's gibbs is you know to sort of a uh, burden to take i guess because you you just know that you can't hit someone in the face in a game like no matter how long yeah you're gonna get sent off it's just gonna happen
0: yeah, no. So yeah, Slavan Belic is mine. Uh, George, who's your Tory of the week?
1: So I struggled with this as well. I actually considered Belic as well, but I've gone with Richard Keys. Um, okay. There's it's, it's a small thing, um, but I just came across it earlier today actually, um, and it's basically on his his on his bio on his blog on the the being sports page. It says, um, "Let's smash it in quotation marks together and have a bit of banter," which is like referencing. Um, when he was fired from Sky Sports for repeated sexist comments, one of which was asking Jamie Redknapp, did you smash it in reference- Oh, Redknapp. yeah, yeah. So he's now kind of, you know, referencing that and cashing in on it, that kind of lads banter, you know, image, um, which to yeah. me says that he hasn't learned anything from his actions and that his, you know, heartfelt apologies at the time were completely, you know, completely hollow and meaningless. So...
0: No, that's fair enough. It's something I wasn't aware of. So thank you for bringing that to my attention as well. So yeah, Richard Keys is a fucking exactly. <laughs> Cool, perfect. Right, so that is it for another week. We're going to have another sort of weekends full of action. George, thank you very much for, for joining thank me. Um, I'm sure it won't be the last okay. time. So yeah, thanks again for everyone for listening and we'll see you on Friday.